0: paper on the problem that was going to affect the church over the next 10 years was that our worship songs had too many first person pronouns. That our worship songs had too many I's and me's. They had done a research project on all older hymns written in the 1918-1900s They had fewer first person pronouns um, and that uh, and that our contemporary worship songs had too many first person pronouns. Unfortunately, I got the first question to her after she had done her entire paper and and. I uh, didn't make, again, Dan, not making friends, I said Psalm 13, in five verses, has 14 first person pronouns, how do you, how does that fit into your into your thesis, edited, and I didn't make friends, so, um, <laughs> and that's an interesting thing, because uh, that, that does actually lead into this sermon today, because I'm talking about words, this is something that I care about, and and I have a history of sometimes uh, using words, I use words a lot. And because I use words a lot, I have a history of sometimes using words badly. And and I also have a history of using words in a way that makes people mad or upset. And sometimes that happens because, oh yeah, you, did I do that for you once? No. Okay. no, no you? Oh, you also do that, okay. I was like, oh no, did I? I've only been up here like three minutes. Am I already affected you? No. But yeah. And many of this have that, but but I have a history of, of, of using words uh, badly, and I have a history of using words that makes people upset and 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 pointing things out in a way that isn't necessarily the easiest for people to grasp. And and one of the things that happened to me is as we was going through as we were going through the service uh, this series on Good Church Patriots is we encountered this. And when we got to uh, into Ephesians 4, I said, like, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is it's helpful building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And, 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 and I read that, and it kind of stuck in here. You know, like there was this whole, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That was like, ah. You know, and something just kind of stuck in me, and then my immediate reaction to that uncomfortable feeling is like, ah, it doesn't have anything to do with me, I'm just going to skip on it, right? Because that's what we do when we come against something that is convicting or something that makes us uncomfortable, we're just like, ah, oh, I'll just gloss over that. Unwholesome talk, that doesn't refer to, doesn't refer to me. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, it continues, because I was like, I'll just skip this part and go on, and then it'll get better. But as I was reading through Ephesians 5, I get to this part, where it says, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual morality, any kind of impurity or greed, because these are a a problem for God's holy people, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now that's frustrating for me, and this did stick with me a little bit more, because I do wonder, am I in this? And in all honesty, you guys know this, when I do comedy, I have paid for our last four Christmases by doing what some people could consider coarse joking, obscenity, and foolish talking. I've I, 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 I made some money doing this. And, and, and I. so I have to ask myself the question, like, what? And, and when I got uncomfortable, I was like, I need to examine this. I need to to, to dig deeper into this. Because my instinct was to gloss this over and explain it away. That, oh, this isn't referring to me. This is referring to other people. This is referring to those bad people. This is referring to something else. This doesn't have anything to do with me. And I'll just I'll just skip over it and move on to the other things. Um, and that's the instinct that I have. I think that that's the instinct that all of us have. To explain away our sin. Because it's uncomfortable to sit and examine ourselves. It's uncomfortable to ask the questions, is my, are my words falling into these categories of percentage and foolish, not course, joking? Are there unwholesome words that are coming out of my mouth? Do I have to examine my own behavior? And it's difficult to genuinely examine our hearts and our a- actions and ask the hard questions about our motivations and the outcomes of our actions. And yet, even though that's uncomfortable, that is what good church requires. That is what God requires of me as his follower. That's what God requires of us collectively. And this is what maturity requires as well. If we're going to be mature people, we need to take hard looks at ourselves and our actions and the outcomes of our actions and ask what we are doing. This honest self-reflection is a requirement of the New Testament. From Hebrews, from 1 Peter, from Romans, we need to do this, I need to do this. So this is a little bit self-indulgent as I walk as I walk through this, but I think that this is a fair thing for all of us to engage in as we talk about my words and our words and the kind of words that we use. So let's talk about words and get back to what he's talking about. So it starts off here where Paul says, in, in light of everything that we have talked about, in, in light of who you are as followers well of Jesus, you're adopted... You're reconciled. You're being remade. You've been empowered to do everything that God has called you to do. All of that is given, and, and, and starts before that. That's the foundation upon which this is built. In light of that, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And and and, and I get a twinge here because I'll, I'll, I'll let you know some of the history that I have with this kind of thing. So when I was very young, I went to a Christian school, and and some of you have heard the story, but I I, I got in a ton of trouble one time. Uh, because I told a joke in which I said the word fart. Um, now, the uh, I, I, was, I was pulled aside and given two weeks' attention because I used vulgar words and very specifically the word fart. Now, in retrospect, the joke that I told, horribly racist. If nobody had a problem with that, just don't say fart. Um, but that was one of my first experiences with this, of, of, of being like, okay. And they used this verse specifically, that, 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 that do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Therefore, don't say uh, the word fart. But that wasn't the only time I had a problem with this. When I first started as a pastor, one of my first sermons in the church, uh, uh, in in, in the Church of Medicine Hat, I was doing a sermon on the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, Philip the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8. And I wanted to explain what eunuch was. Because I, I've told you this, too. I, I had a friend that I met that thought a eunuch was like a mythical creature, like Mr. Tumnus from from, from, <laughs> uh, from Narnia. Yeah, so I, uh, so I explained, and what I did to explain what a eunuch was was I made a slide and I put it up. This was in Medicine Hat, Alberta, right? So this is like ranch country. I put up a, a, a thing on the, a, a thing that said, eunuch is to man as fear is to bull." Right? Everybody kind of understands what's going on there. If you don't understand what's going on there, ask your mom later, and she will explain it to you. Um, what's that? Or dad, or dad, too. What if your dad's not here, you can ask your mom. Um, so, but... I did that, and I explained it, and everybody understood. And 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 what was interesting was after that sermon, I had other people laughing with me after church because they were like, I had no idea what a unit was, right? It was just a word that was not familiar. But a week later, I had a lady come and speak to me in the, my office, very offended that I had done this. And she was very offended that I, I it was it was it was jokey and it was flippant, and, and she used this verse again, and she was like, this is not proper. Or a certain, and I was just like, so how would you have preferred, I did explain to people what a eunuch was. And so she didn't have an answer to that question. But I just wanted to I was like... <laughs> I was like <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> I was kind of a jerk, because I was like, would you have preferred I talked about... I used the word testicles, and she didn't like that. And, uh, so, and then I had a paper that I wrote in college, where... I I, I said something that was too forward for the professor and he didn't like. He was like, you're right, but this is not proper academic language, and he was very offended by something that I said, which wasn't swearing, but I just made a... So I have a history of this, and this verse has been used at me a lot. So I need to get down to the basics of, what are we talking about when we talk about unwholesome talk, right? Because I, I seem to be not clear about it, because I get attacked for this a reasonable amount of time. So I think it, it's important for us to, 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 to look at the Greek. And what I discovered was that as I began to study this, is that unwholesome talk is really, I would argue, a bad translation. The, the, the literal words in, uh, in, in Hebrew are, are logos, sapros. Now, logos just means words, okay? And, and so we know that. But sapros is an interesting word because, because it just means wrong. And most of the time, when this is used in in, in, in extra biblical literature, it's used to describe fruit that is turned, something that is spoiled and gone bad. So I don't know why we use the term unwholesome talk when rotten words works just as well and is more poetic, right? And so and. So I think it's bad translation, but one of the things that happens with bad translations is that bad translations lead to bad hermeneutics, and I think that that's one of the things, bad hermeneutics just meaning interpretations. Because people thought unwholesome words means the things that we're scared of in English, bodily functions, crude <laughs> things, words that are out of hand. Uh, that's not what Paul is talking about at all. Paul is talking about rotten words, words that... That uh, it, And it tells us that by what comes next. He's talking about rotten words. Do not let any rotten words come out of your mouth, but the opposite of rotten words, What are, what's the opposite of rotten words? Right words, words that are helpful for building others up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. What happens if you eat rotten fruit? What happens if you eat spoiled food? You get sick. You get sick, you feel bad, it's gross, and, and, and ultimately it will kill you. But, but the opposite of spoiled or rotten words are is that you eat good food, you eat ripe food, you eat cooked food, and it, get, it gives you life and it gives you health, right? That's what we're talking about. We're due, so the question that we ought to be asking is not, are your words making me feel comfortable? Are your words referring to bodily functions? Are your words referring to something that we like or dislike? Are your words Providing nourishment and strength. Do they build up or do they tear down? What is their impact? This is a very interesting thing because now it changes the whole focus of the words from from what words have you chosen to what are those words doing in other people. And what I find interesting as a comedian, this is a little bit of, of, of inside baseball, but I think it's worthwhile. One of the things that people will talk about is that I believe in free speech, therefore I should be allowed to say whatever I want, and it doesn't matter the impact that it has on you. So if my words hurt you, that's your fault. Some people believe that. But for the followers of Jesus, that is not what we're allowed to do. We have to think about how our words impact other people. Uh, it eliminates that I, I, the, 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 I didn't mean that, so I'm sorry you are offended. It eliminates that from our entire vernacular. So we we have to care about he, what our hearers hear when we speak words, and we have to try to communicate in a way that uh, that people can understand and people can grasp. Okay. So I do believe that there are words that are rotten. Okay. I think that there are words that are spoiled. I think when we're talking about 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 slurs and, and, and words that have a history of tearing people down and degrading them, racially racially uh, motivated words. There are words that are so rotten that they ought not to ever come out of our mouths. I do think that there are such words. But I, don't, I think that those words are much fewer and far, farther between than what we would like to. And, and, I, I, and, and, what we, and there are some words that, that we might think that are, are potentially rude that do communicate and build up in a way that we would like. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this because I just, it's in the middle of here. And this goes into the bad hermeneutics thing. Another thing that I've heard uh, growing up, and particularly in Pentecostal circles, is grieving the Holy Spirit. And I've talked to dozens of people who's uh, who are living in desperate fear that they have grieved the Holy Spirit, right? And, and, and there's a lot of confusion about this, what this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit means and how that affects us. But I think, It's very easy to pick out, based on what is going on in this passage, what grieving the Holy Spirit means. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't use words that tear people down. Don't use words that destroy other people. Don't let bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander come out of you and interfere with the body of Christ and destroy the people around you. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. It's not some weird supernatural thing that that this boogeyman we can lay over people like, oh, are you grieving the Holy Spirit? It's telling us in the passage. Grieving, and the reason why I'm getting a little bit animated is because I've seen people who have been imprisoned, basically, by another person saying, oh, you better watch out that you're not grieving the Holy Spirit, using that as a motivation to try and control other people. The passage tells us grieving the Holy Spirit is using words that destroy other people, allowing bitterness, anger, slander to take root in you. That's not what we do, okay? So we're, so that's what grieving the Holy Spirit is, using words that cut and destroy rather than edify and build. But the reality is, in the midst of this, words that edify and build, words that, that build others up according to their needs, those words are sometimes hard. Those words are not always soft and friendly and have nice, clean edges on them. Sometimes those words are rough, and we see that throughout Scripture. Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, didn't use soft words with them. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them blind gods. And Jesus was very, almost tame in his language compared to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel refers to the people of Israel as, as, as prostitutes and harlots. And he uses even harsher language, where he says, where, where, where he talks about uh, they went to Egypt and, and, and pursued lovers whose genitals were like donkeys and whose emissions was like that of camels. Like it's as 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 graphic as you can imagine. That is what Ezekiel is talking about. Isaiah, when he refers to all of our righteousness as those filthy rags. The words that he is using in Hebrew refer to used menstrual cloths. It's as graphic as you can imagine. So it's not the graphicness of the words that makes them bad. Sometimes hard words are needed. But how do we justify that? Like has Ezekiel and has Isaiah and has Jesus and has Paul who quoted that Isaiah passage. And when and when Paul says that, I wish that. When, he, when Paul is talking to the Galatians and he's referring to a group of people who are saying that everyone needs to get circumcised, and Paul says to them, "I wish that they would go all the way and emasculate themselves." Right? Is he and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jesus falling into this and, and, and allowing obscenity, foolish talk, and forced joking to come out of their mouths? Because by the standards that I was raised with, and by the standards of the people that that, that, that constantly came at me with, like, "Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth." Paul and Jesus and Ezekiel and, and, and Isaiah would all have been breaking this rule. So what are we supposed to be doing when we get here? Because we do believe, and this is what Paul says next, among you there must not be any sexual morality or any kind of theory or greed, because these are a problem for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. So what does this actually say? Because we had a bad translation last time, maybe we have a bad translation this time. So we get to it. It's, nor should there be any ahi, ahi scrotus, uh morologia, or eutropelia. Okay, so the first word there is is, is 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 the one that I know the least, but ahischronos. Ah, ahi and the root of that is basically shameful. The root of that is uh, and, and and it's used throughout Greek literature to talk about when you destroyed some someone or disfigured their face. And then it talks about. Um, uh someone being attacked and having their face cut. there was disfigured, disfigured, that was the word that was used. So uh, it, it also has the, the idea of shamefulness in it. okay? So So we can talk about shameful or disgraceful words. I think disgraceful or disfigured, but disgraceful is probably the best <coughs> excuse me, the best translation that we have uh, in, in English currently. So So we're talking about disgraceful words, okay? And then morologia is uh, is really simple because it's a combination of the root word that gives us moron and the root word that gives us uh, uh, logos that gives us words. So it's just moron words. Foolish words is actually pretty good there. So so don't let any moron words come out of your mouth. And then this last one is utropelia, which is interesting because utropelia is could easy, most easily be translated as wittiness or as cleverness. And it's interesting because in other, it's the only time it's used in Scripture, and in other ancient literatures, utropelia was lauded as a virtue. Aristotle had utropelia as one of the virtues, that, that it was an ability to use words in a way that was entertaining, in a way that was engaging, in a way that was winsome, in a way that was know—in uh, in, in a, in a way that the ability to, to uh, gather a room and entertain them with your words. That was this utropelia to speak pleasingly, pleasantly, and entertainingly. And it's interesting that that Paul takes this thing and twists it and describes it as something that is unfit to come out of the mouths of Christians. So, now we're left with, does Paul mean that we should never crack jokes amongst each other? That there's no room for wittiness amongst the people of God? I don't think that that's true, because Jesus was really witty, and Paul... Just gets out of being what he had done, saying that people should emasculate themselves, and 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 Isaiah has his his his, his menstrual rags joke, and Ezekiel has his other jokes. <laughs> anyway, but what what are we to do with these? How what are we supposed to? Why is that? It's not merely just coarse words. What what what, what is going on here? So. I'm going to leave Eutropelia the way it is when correctly translated. So, so, nor should there be any disgraceful or foolish words or Eutropelia. And what I'm going to think what what Paul is getting at when he's talking about Eutropelia, is something that I think that we've all heard of. But anyone who has kind of lived in an academic environment a little bit, or or has lived in at a group within a group of people who think that they're reasonably smart, there's a kind of cleverness that starts to seep in. And a way of, of of talking about things that makes everything seem stupid and small. That any earnestness, any real joy, any any true activity, that that, that there's a way of just kind of subtly twisting it and tearing at it and start to, starting to break it down at the edges. This is and this is what really started to convict me more, more than anything else, is that there's a way that we talk that is more about scoring points off of other people that it is about bringing joy to other people, that there's more about, that that this wittiness starts to be more about raising your stature than it is lifting up the entire group of people. And we see this, that, that this creeping cynicism, it debases things, it makes everything foolish and cheap. And everything seems small and insignificant. It's a sneering cleverness that attempts to raise the speaker by lowering everything else. I think that this is what he's talking about when he's talking about eutrophilia. This cynicism that creeps in. And, and the cynicism that creeps in keeps us from genuinely being grateful. I can think of the cocktail parties that I've been at, or or, or or the or the comedy back rooms that I've sat in, where this creeping cynicism starts to creep in, and no one is grateful for anything in that situation. I'm not participating in that. I'm not eliminating myself from that. But there's no room for gratitude when we're all trying to score points off each other. There's no room for gratitude when we're all trying to raise our our level slightly higher than than either everybody who's in the room, or or, or even better, the person who's not in the room. Because score some points off them, where we can affirm our righteousness by degrading someone else's. It's not what we've been called to do with our words. Rather, that we've been taught to be grateful and we want to be really careful about this, because this is in a context of a whole bunch of things, but amongst you that are not, be not even the sexual immorality or any kind of purity or greed, because these are improper from God's holy people. Nor should there be, and I'm translating my way, disgraceful or foolish words or utopia, or place, but rather thanksgiving. For, this, you know, for this can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in, of, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. This is the context which enables us to use words properly to make sure that there aren't empty words among us. Because I'm going to guarantee you, if someone is doing disgraceful things, we need to describe the disgraceful things that they are doing with disgraceful words. If someone is lying, cheating, stealing, oppressing others, we're going to use disgraceful words to describe it. When things are rotten, we use rotten words. We don't shrink back from using tough words to describe tough things. We don't shrink back from calling things what they are. And and we've all seen bad churches that get twisted sideways because we've tolerated all kinds of, of racism and elitism because we didn't swear. You didn't say the rude words. Therefore, we're going to tolerate all kinds of passive aggressiveness, all kinds of manipulation, all kinds of, uh, of elitism and separation because you didn't swear and use these couple of improper words. And I want to and I want to reinforce as firmly as I possibly can, something I believe with every fiber of my being, it's better to have your mouth filled with swear words and speak the truth than it is to lie cleanly. And we need to get that straight as a church. Not just us, but but the entire evangelical church. We've had it twisted for way too long, where we pushed people outside because their language wasn't what we wanted to be, and we tolerated people using empty words and lies among us. Better to swear and speak the truth and use clean words to spout lies. And this is why I've gotten into conflict with some other people, because I am different than your average evangelical sometimes, and we are different as parents, and I would much rather my children listen to rap music with swearing in it, which some of which I really enjoy, than listen to some of what is played on the Christian radio station. Because I believe that Kendrick Lamar even though he uses rude words is telling the truth and I think some of the Bethel music worship songs that are on the Christian radio station are lying. And I would way rather my children listen to the truth and hard words than listen to lies that sound sweet. We need to make a choice as a church. We are not going to tolerate that. We're not going to tolerate people lying sweetly. That's why I love what L.P. said on the last Run the Jewels album, where he talks about politicians and oppressors and corporate lobbyists who talk clean and then bomb hospitals. And he says in opposition to that, I'm going to speak with fallacy not possible. I'd rather speak the truth. And this is something else that I need to explain for myself and I need to explain to you guys as well. What concerns the way that we use words is always affected by the audience that is hearing those words. So when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs, you blind guides, beware of the wrath that is to come, you could interpret that and be say, is Jesus actually going to convince everybody with that? Because those are hard words. Are the Pharisees' hearts actually going to be changed by that? We know from that that they weren't. So what was Jesus doing in there? Jesus' audience, when he criticized the Pharisees, was not the Pharisees. Jesus' audience when he criticized the Pharisees was all of the people who had been oppressed by the Pharisees. All the people who looked at the Pharisees and said, those people have kept me on the outside. Those people have the real vision of what God is, and I'm smaller and insignificant compared to them. I don't don't have the ability to attain the righteousness that they've obtained. Jesus wanted them to hear him attack the religious liars. So there are times when we use hard words in order to make sure that those who are oppressed hear the truth, and I and, and and I've done this before, where I will I will go out of my like okay, so a couple of years, probably about five years, more than that, longer than I've been here. There was a there was Westboro Baptist Church from. The United States was going to come here and protest a play that was going on. That's what they said that they were going to do, but Canada didn't let them in the country. Our home and native land. Um, you can be a jerk in your own country. We got to deal with our own jerks here. We're not letting you bring more in. Um, but there was this counter protest that was uh, that arose amongst the LGBTQ community, and I went to that. Not because I'm a part of the LGBTQ community. I'm not. You know, and 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 a lot of them would kind of dislike some of the ideas that I hold I am relatively traditional in some ways, but I think that people are humans who so should be allowed to exist, you know, and I think that the world doesn't operate. So I went to that counter-protest, not because I thought the Westboro Baptist Church was going to change their minds about the, the gospel, but they need to see that, 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 that somebody is going to yell at them too, that somebody who believes in Jesus is going to say, you're lying about this. And the LGBTQ community, and I felt I needed to stand on the side of the LGBT community at that point and say, they're lying about the gospel. I'm not saying that Jesus says everything's all right, but they're lying, and God doesn't hate you. And you don't get to lie about the gospel in my city without me showing up and telling you that you're wrong. And I'm sorry if that takes unwholesome words, if that takes words that are rough, if that takes words that are that are, are harder than people would like them to be, we got to be okay with that. Now, I'm not saying I've always done this right. I've messed it up a lot. And the nature of feeling called to walk a line on words means that sometimes you're going to fall over it. And I hope that um, when I have fallen over that, that I uh, I repent quickly and easily, and that uh, and that uh, and, and, and that I genuinely care about the way that our, our our words affect people. But we need to ask ourselves the question. And 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 we need to 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 ask ourselves the question, what are our words for? Are our words building up ourselves and those around us? Are our words showing gratitude or are showing are our words showing our intolerance and our inability to stomach unrighteousness and greed and immorality and the things that are destroying us and the people around us? Or are our words telling people the truth? Are our words building up those around us? Are our words betraying what is truly in our hearts because the reality is whether we like it or not our words are a way that we give life and that we give death those are the options that we have and we can either participate and we can't let Fear of words and the manipulation of us intimidate us from telling the truth, but we need to allow all of the words that exist to come into us and allow us to, and, and, and trust that God will help us to use them well to tell the truth, and that is what is most important here. The words that we choose to use to tell the truth are less important than just telling the truth. So obviously, there's words that are appropriate and inappropriate. You know, and and there's words that we use in polite company and there's words that we don't use in polite company. And I think that that's, and, and we're all sophisticated enough to understand that. But what Paul is talking here isn't the list of seven words that you can't say on television. What Paul is talking about is, is lies that enter into our hearts and destroy us and destroy the people around us. And we need to be adamant that we are not going to allow that to happen. And we need to be adamant that we are going to tell the truth. And not just tell the truth, but tell the truth in a way that the world can understand. Because i got to be honest with you. I've been with a lot of people that are outside evangelical subculture. And sometimes the only way that they've understood the good news that we have to tell is when you throw in a word that is a little bit foul. That is a little bit inappropriate for our context. That's Okay to make sure that people can understand what we're talking about, rather than some falsified language that holds us up and separates other people from the love of God. Let's pray. God. We're talking about words, and they just flow out of us, whether we like it or not. And we know that the best thing that we can do in words is to just use less of them. That there is a wisdom in silence. Silence in your presence, and silence in the presence of others, and that, and that we can be safe in our words by, by 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 not by just not using as many of them. But you have called us to speak truth, God. So we ask that you help us to do that well. We ask that you would help us to control our words, that we not let rotten words come out of our mouths, that we not let that we not let uh, that, that we not let fool, fools words or, or 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 disgraceful words come out of our mouths. Or that that we wouldn't slide into into snide cleverness that that degrades everything around, but but rather that we would would speak the truth, that we would speak gratitude, that we would speak joy, and most of all, in light of what you have done in and for us, that we would speak love. And We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.